This episode of the Crazy Sexy Anxiety Podcast is sponsored by the Crazy Sexy Healthy Organization, the only online community where anxious moms can find mental and emotional support, accountability for daily physical movement, healthy recipes that don't suck, and a group of women just like you ready to make a change. For more information, please visit my website, crazysexyanxiety.com, or search for Crazy Sexy Healthy on Facebook. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to all of you crazy, sexy, beautiful people out there. Thank you so much for joining me on this hump day. Bringing sexy back to anxiety. This is crazy, sexy, anxiety. You may hear some background noise on the show today. It is so windy here. Well, we are in the windy city, but it is seriously scary windy, if that's even a thing. Almost like my house moves when a gust of wind comes comes through. So if you hear the background noise and you're like, what is she doing? It's not me. It's the wind. It's Chicago. It's everything that we deal with, you know, in the winter of Chicago. So anyways, all right. So guys, we leave Saturday for our cruise. Saturday, three more sleeps, and we are going to be setting sail to Mexico. Yes, it's our annual family vacation. So last year we took on Disney. This year we're cruising to Cabo. And I know, I know you're already thinking, oh my gosh, Maggie, she's got to be freaking out. Her travel anxiety has probably kicked in. She's very distracted with all the things she needs to do. Oh, how is she doing all this? Well, you're going to really laugh at me. I'm a freak of nature. I actually don't get anxiety when traveling. Do I get social anxiety? Yes. Do I get other anxieties and experiences? Yes. I am like the opposite of every anxious person in the world right now. Planes, ships, foreign countries, packing for a family of four. It it doesn't, it does not worry me. I actually do not feel anxious when this happens. I know I'm a freak of freaking nature, like I said, but (laughs) you know what did give me anxiety before vacations? And I do this every vacation. I love it, but I hate to do it. I did it yesterday and I'm going to give you some hints and see if you can kind of guess what I did. If you've already creeped my stories, you already know. Hint number one, it's painful. Yeah, it hurts. Two, it's very humbling. Three, it's so worth it when it's over. And the last hint is that it makes your vacation so much easier because it's one less thing that you need to worry about and do. All right, what are your guesses? What are you thinking? No, it's not Botox. All right, so let's get into the next segment. Let's talk about stuff that makes me anxious. I'm such a creature of habit. 
that I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone. This is the stuff that makes me anxious. If you guessed a bikini wax, ding, 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 you are correct, my beautiful friend. And I would assume that you would agree with me. I actually did a poll on my IG stories yesterday asking my followers about bikini waxes. 4% of people say they get them all the time. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Ouch. No way. I could not do that. And I know that you have to probably get a monthly if you're consistently getting them all the time. So that was 4%, very low. 17% of people get them here and there, just like me for special occasions or vacations. And then 78% of my followers never, ever, ever get them. And that actually surprised me. I don't know. I don't know why. So, okay, yesterday I went, I had the appointment, had it scheduled for a month. Every time I saw it on my calendar, my stomach would drop. Yes, because that is how anxious I get about this impending bikini wax. Yesterday morning, I was so distracted by the silly wax that I couldn't focus on life. I literally had to drag myself to drive to the appointment and inside the spa, kind of like a kid being dragged to a timeout. I almost chickened out and canceled my appointment and just stood my esthetician up because that is how nervous I am. I don't know why. I do not, I, I don't know. But I'm just like having flashbacks of me yesterday getting this wax. And I don't know what's worse. Is it the pain or is it the fact that I was laying there wearing a disposable thong? Like really, what's the point even wearing one? With my legs up in the air, like, hey. And I swear my esthetician sees more than my gynecologist. Oh my God. Saying this or even my husband. I swear he said that out loud. And this pathetic and sad thing about all of this is she probably doesn't get one fourth of a gynecologist salary, but I did tip her well. <laughs> God, you are never going to go for that wax now, are you? Like, I'm probably freaking you out. I am probably giving you anxiety right now. And I'm so sorry if I'm triggering any past trauma that you've experienced with getting any sort of bikini wax. But yes, my esthetician saw it all just like maybe a gynecologist would. But speaking of doctors, Oh, this is going to be the best segue into the meat of today's show. I'm interviewing a doctor and no, not a gynecologist, but a pediatrician. Okay. The doctor is in the house. Today's guest is Dr. Rebecca Diamond, or as you may know her as parent, like a pediatrician, as she's known on social media. Also the title of her very well-written book. We are going to chat about parent-related anxiety and all of the BS that society has us believing. Dr. Diamond, hi there. Welcome Hello. to Crazy Sexy Anxiety. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. It's it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure or my pleasure? My pleasure, I guess. The, the, um, royal, the royal we. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so where did the title of your book, Parent Like a Pediatrician, come from? Yeah, 
I mean, the short answer is I'm a pediatrician, so this is how I parent. But the longer and I think more important answer is that I really wanted to write this book almost the minute I got pregnant. I wish I had some sort of guide to walk me through things. And after I was pregnant, I had terrible postpartum anxiety, which I get into on Instagram and in the book. And I just needed a guide. And I could not find anything that showed me how to trust myself in parenting without just saying kind of, don't worry, you got it. Everything will be fine. Because I was a pediatrician. So I knew there are things you, you could worry about, or if not worry about, there are things at least you could consider and prepare for. And I've been learning how to teach parents about that and, you know, and, and how to make sure that kids were healthy as best as possible. So I, I knew that it wasn't necessarily the right answer to say, things are so stressful, nothing matters, do your best, it is what it is. Um, although from an anxiety perspective, often that is, that's a better way to go than just saying, you know, doing your whole dance of magical thinking and trying to control things and obsessing. So I was very much caught between those worlds, especially as someone who struggles with anxiety myself. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, but where is like, okay, so what if there was like a, someone who actually knew what mattered in children's health and could help me triage this and could tell me, yeah, you, sh- you should you know, go ahead with the vaccines according to schedule, which was not something I struggled with, but I knew was sort of a source of angst in the parenting world. Um, Or you should do these practices to try to make sleep safer, or here's how you could try to promote breastfeeding without making me feel like every single thing was the all or none. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thinking, you know, in my mind, the person who would do that could be a pediatrician. Like maybe there could be a pediatrician who does the the hard work for you. I mean, that is the goal of what a pediatrician does for children's health. But what if we could apply that to parenting? And, you know, as I got farther in my journey, I realized that's kind of what I was doing. I was going to all my pediatrician friends, the ones who had kids already or two kids or four kids, you know, one of my best friends in residency had four children by the time I had my daughter, which is its own amazing story. And I just texted her everything. I was like, did you follow this? Did you, what is your thought on this? And she, you know, she would tell me the data and what it worked for her. And I was just like, oh, I need, I want this all in one spot. Mm-hmm. So my mission over the next, what, five years has been to try to, I know I can't believe it's been five years, but yeah try to try to help you parent, you know, it's a little bit of a pithy, catchy title, parent like a pediatrician, but sort of parent like someone who knows that it's important to try to make your kids healthy, but also know that there are, you know, some things matter more than Mm -hmm. others. Yes, I agree. I have a copy of your book and I was looking through it as, you know, my kids are older now and I was thinking, oh my gosh, where was this book? when I was struggling as a parent. So this is very eye-opening and I really highly encourage my listeners to pick up a copy of this book because it is, it's really good. You have the roles, both roles, the pediatrician and the mom, and you put them together and you put it, you marry them and they're in this book. It's awesome. So what are the things about your personal experience with motherhood that would surprise people knowing you're an expert? 
Yeah. Oh, great question. Um, probably like so many things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest thing is just how hard it was. Um, and that was the biggest surprise to me. You know, my background is I'm a very, very fortunate person in life. I have no financial instability. I am married. My husband is extraordinarily supportive and a great partner. I have incredible family supports. Like I'm just naming all the things that in this society are really not, not even that common to have all of those things align. I was a pediatrician. So I was like, I know, I know how to do babies. Like I get babies. Can't right. be that hard. I actually grew up around kids. You know, I have very younger brothers and a lot of cousins. So it wasn't, you know, sometimes these days people really don't have a lot of exposure to seeing what breastfeeding looks like or what sleep looks like or how to change a baby or, you know, I had all that. So I was really thinking this was going to be easy, which mm -hmm. is hilarious. Um, and I just, you know, it wasn't all bad. It's not like I'm painting this picture of like, I, I've hated every part of parenting. I love being a parent. I love parenting. It's, you know, why I do what I do. But that initial struggle, especially of feeling so like, I don't even know where to start with this creature. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with my body and her body. And who do I ask and where do I go? As one of the more fortunate and connected people in society was really jarring, was really surprising to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's, you don't really know it until you're in it. It's so true. I call it blissful ignorance. You mm -hmm. know, I had, I struggled with both pregnancies with what I call blissful ignorance. You know, I thought mm -hmm. everything was going to be what I imagined it would be. And I was in the, like the blissful part thinking, oh my gosh, my baby's going to be healthy like her baby. And I found myself in the comparison game, mm -hmm. comparing myself to other moms and other parents, and I'm going to nurse and I'm going to breastfeed my baby until she is one years old. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? Madeline was born premature. I almost lost her. She was almost stillborn. Oh okay. God. So breastfeeding to me, I was like, what? No, let's get this baby <laughs> breathing. You know, yeah. like is, and it really puts you in perspective. Mm -hmm. So I agree when you are literally in the moment of motherhood, that's when you really are tested mm -hmm. you know, into what, you know, what really is important to you and what really matters, like you said. So when we chatted prior to recording, you mentioned that if you didn't have formal training as a pediatrician, that you would be paralyzed as a parent. And that really hit me. So let's talk more about that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think it's a double-edged sword because looking back and people say this, like the things I worry about as a pediatrician, it's sort of like, oh man, maybe sometimes it's not the best thing to be a pediatrician. I'm, I'm worried about all sorts of scary things all the time. But I did have a basic sense of kind of infant health and children's health. So some of the big picture decisions really were not something that I even thought to worry about. You know, I, I've talked about vaccines and I'm a big advocate for those, you know, not in any judgmental way of parents who are doubting them. I completely understand. There's so much information out there. But I had, what, 10 years of, of training and, and feeling very secure and comfortable in that decision. So if that had been something that entered my anxiety space on social media and taken away precious moments of sleep or thinking of other more nuanced decisions, 
I don't know how I would have functioned, you know, the same for breastfeeding, although I had my own breastfeeding struggles, I had a tremendous amount of them. And that's something I try to repair in my book and think about the bigger picture approach. But it wasn't a question of, I didn't have to sit there and, and worry if breastfeeding was worth trying. I, you know, it wasn't some sort of decision like, let's sit there and weigh the studies of breastfeeding versus not breastfeeding. I knew the bigger picture of, oh yeah, yeah it's something that I am going to try. And I knew that the issue might be about how to get support for it. Right. So it was like having a very slight leg up, but I think that edge of having a basic understanding of pediatric health, especially as small things, you know, arose, like whether my daughter was also born premature. So knowing that, you know, she was only a little premature and knowing that I didn't really have to worry about that was so helpful versus starting and starting from scratch and not really knowing like, is this okay? Is any of this okay? Do babies really just sneeze? That's fine. Like, you know, things like that. Um, And I I think it's not, the moral to me is not everyone needs a degree in pediatrics. That's ridiculous. I think the, the moral to me is the information that is out there that makes you doubt yourself is outrageous. This is good. (laughs) Well, it really just informed the whole experience for me because I was almost, I was looking for things to think were wrong or to worry about not understanding that it was okay to just be baseline overwhelmed by what was going on and focus in the moment. I didn't have to turn it into this like anxious extreme sport research project where I was online Mm -hmm. agonizing over every micro decision. Oh my gosh. Like anxiety is an extreme sport. (laughs) (laughs) Or right on the nail, whatever they say. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot. It takes so much energy and we don't have that. No, no. You're right. It's looking for things to worry about versus actually living in the moment and being like, oh my gosh, look what I accomplished. Right. Right? So now my burning question is, what did you do about it? I wrote a book, right? That's what I wrote. No, no, I did the things that, you know, I've been doing most of my life for anxiety. I have become increasingly open now. I've always been open, but now that I'm seeing people really ask questions about mental health and, and their perinatal struggles, I've always, you know, needed medication for anxiety and I needed it throughout pregnancy. So I worked very closely with my doctors who were fortunately extremely supportive of me, Good. very much told me you have to prioritize your own mental health. Nothing matters for your daughter without that. It's not quote unquote, just about you know, making yourself happy, it's actually crucial to her health. Um, And so that was being plugged into the medical field with these really savvy physicians was so important. They were increasing my medication, not trying to wean me off it for arbitrary reasons. Um, And I've been in therapy. So a combination of that and therapy, um, you know, looking back, I, I wish I had been even kinder to myself and pushed myself even harder to give myself permission to just be a good mom because that's what I am. And I'm learning that it's okay to say that. <laughs> it's okay to be proud of yourself for being a good parent, you know? Uh, um, I love that. I have the chills right now. You're right. Give yourself permission to tell yourself that you are a good parent and be kind to yourself. 
it doesn't negate all of that sharing your parent fails and struggles and knowing that you have room to grow and your growth mindset. It does being confident doesn't negate that, mm-hmm. you know, if anything, and I liked, I love to throw this fact because it really, it blows people's minds and it, it just really solidifies the message, you know, being confident in your parenting, there's a term for it. It's called self-efficacy in the research. So if you look up studies on self-efficacy means that you feel comfortable in your ability to solve problems and make your decisions, that's actually tied unsurprisingly to better outcomes in children. They learn how to be better regulated. They learn how to be more self-efficacious. So it's data-based that you can actually stop undermining yourself as a parent and stop letting, you know, the internet undermine you more. So it helps your kid. Stop the vicious cycle. Yeah. Right. I always tell my clients because I get a lot of my clients come to me and they're like, I just don't have time to take care of me. My kid has this, my kid, you know, he's in sports or they're up all night or they're feeding all the time, or Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And it's, I really want to say, listen, when you find the time, well, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day, but when you work on you first, everything else falls into place. It carries over in all the other roles in your life and you become a better mom for it and your kid will benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a minute about science-based evidence, which I know is a big topic on your Instagram page. So let's give me an example of an unpopular opinion related to anxiety that's backed by science. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot because unfortunately science has become politicized or, or made mm-hmm. controversial. Um, and I have a lot of posts I've covered about, I could always talk about vaccines, but one thing I did want to talk about um, is what I just brought up, which is the concept of treating your mental health with pregnancy and breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, one of my other favorite topics in, in what I do online and and in my writing is talk about our, this, this kind of un unscientific or unnecessary split that we have between natural and medicine and something that's really gaining popularity, you know, these days with some, some of the anti-vaccine backlash and just some of the pro-natural stuff. And I'm not here to, to bash anything. I I'm really here for nuanced conversation. So I can absolutely appreciate there is so much to work on in terms of birth trauma and in terms of how we medicalize pregnancy and parenting. And I'm really here to hold the establishment accountable for that. So not trying to sweep that under the rug at all, but sometimes I find increasingly that that the the reaction is, you know, medicine's bad, big pharma's bad, just do this naturally. Wasn't what happened back in the bad old days or good old days, but that I'm thinking are not so good really when you look at it. Um, there's just this all or none, like just be natural, don't do an epidural, don't take medicines, don't give your kid this. And I just really like to push back on that and say, let's have those conversations about how to get rid of a lot of this like really troubling institutional dysfunction and and some of this real oppression that's going on and over medicalization while at the same time realizing that it's okay to need medicines yeah it's really okay and everything in life has risks and benefits 
Taking a medicine has risks and benefits. Not taking a medicine has risks and benefits. So when you look at a decision or you're thinking, God, I'm really struggling with this perinatal anxiety and I'm feeling really guilty about needing a medicine or continuing the medication or adding something on or what have you, remind yourself that it's not the choice between taking a medicine and then just doing this sort of romanticized perfect pregnancy. It's the choice between taking a medicine or suffering without the medicine Mm -hmm. and suffering, you know, the risks may be less quantifiable in our minds, but they're real and they affect your child and they affect you and they affect your parenting. So that is something speaking of what I wish I had known or what I had wish I'd really internalized as a, as a pregnant and postpartum person was not to beat myself up over the fact that I absolutely needed medicines pregnant throughout my pregnancy and postpartum with breastfeeding. I needed them too. Mm-hmm. And find yourself if you can, uh, you know, a doctor or an expert who can, who can really look at the full big picture risk benefit balance and not be too focused on the limited data that we have in either direction. I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you for saying that because a lot of the listeners on my show are anxious moms who may be medicated and may have that guilt of having to take medicine. Me, for example, I'm a huge advocate on taking an SSRI or medicine to help yourself with, you know, your depression, your anxiety, your OCD, whatever it is, because I was one that needed it. I couldn't get Mm -hmm. out of bed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get out of bed and parent my child, take care of myself. And, but I went off the meds because of the stigma, because Mm -hmm. I thought, and another reason was I felt fine. I'm like, I feel great. I don't Mm -hmm. need it anymore. Went off the meds. Rebecca, it was the worst two years of my freaking life. Like my anxiety came back with vengeance. No, it is okay. It's actually part of my story. Mm -hmm. Um, But because I went off those meds, my kids were impacted. My marriage was impacted and my, my own well-being was. So my husband had to sit me down. He had a heart to heart. He's like, this is not the way to live. Yeah. And that's when I realized screw this. I don't care what people say about medicine. I freaking need it. And I went back on it. And now I'm proud to say that it is no different than a diabetic needed insulin. It is no different than someone with high blood pressure that needs medicine to help control that. Mental health is still health and it's Absolutely. no different. Absolutely. So, so if a mom was really struggling with motherhood and riddled with anxiety, pressure, all the things, what are three steps she could take to feel better and not drown? Yeah. Oh man. I, I feel that. I feel that so much. (laughs) Um, you know, again, it's, it's hard to speak too broadly to this sort of, you know, the, the posts or the, you know, the little memes that are saying it's okay to get help, you know, because the, pro- the problem with saying, you know, just go get help is, well, not everyone has the same access to different kind of help. You know, I had the finances and the connections to be able to pretty quickly get whatever I would need in an emergency, not anything, I, but, you know, within reason, there weren't huge barriers or I, you know, would be able to, to make accommodations. But I've been in situations where that was less the case. And there's plenty of people 
who, for whatever reason, really don't feel like they can get what would be like the full amount of help. Mm-hmm. And so while society really is, is failing parents, and I'm not trying to put this on you, I do think there are ways to get help, even if that's just a reframing of what your priority is. And to your point earlier about, you know, taking your kid to soccer practice and not getting any sleep and not being able to do the things that maybe you otherwise would have time or could afford, or, you know, I I think really reminding yourself, it's not just okay to prioritize yourself. It's not just a a message about self-care. All of that stuff is important. It's important, as we know, to to really take care of your mental and physical health, but it's hard as parents. I know the, I know those automatic thoughts of like, yeah, yeah, but that's for other people. I have to take care of my kid. Um, Like in a, in, you know, in a dream world. Yeah. You're like reality. You know, that, you know, the talk where you tell your best friend, you really need to take care of yourself. And then you go home and you do the opposite Mm -hmm. and you just totally torture yourself. So I get that. And I just, I want parents to really remember that you are doing this for your kid. And if you're feeling overwhelmed and that there's any chance that there's a support group or a psychiatrist or an app or even a, you know, an exercise class or any, any change you could make that would make it feel like you're a little more yourself, do it not in spite of your kid, but for your kid, do it because that's what your kid needs for you to have that self-efficacy for you to model what it's like to look out for yourself. You want your, you don't want your kid to not think that they can take care of themselves, you know, going forward. So I think that's the biggest thing is remember I'm a pediatrician. My job is to look out for your kids. I technically, you know, on paper, I'm not even treating you, you know, you're not my patient. And yet that would be crazy if I was just like, no, 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 who cares about this mom or dad? Like, I just care about this kid. So I'm going to have them burn themselves out. You know, it doesn't make any sense. So if a pediatrician who at least theoretically only cares about your kid and not you is telling you that I really care about you, that must mean it really matters for your kid. Mm-hmm. That's probably the biggest thing I would, I would say parents can do that reframing. So it's almost like a parent goes to you or their child, but they also get a therapy session out of it in a way. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's, that's what it should be because we, you know, we're, we're very fragmented in medicine in a lot of different ways. And part of the failings of, of pediatrics right now, it's a for-profit system. Even when it's not, our healthcare system is completely corrupted by all sorts of things. So we don't have the time to make this a family treatment, but we all want to. Mm-hmm. And, and the ideal way to treat a child is to treat a family and to prioritize that family unit. Nothing matters more to that kid. Right. So on the one hand, it feels like all oh, every single decision of yours matters, right? It's like, I can make or break this child. And that's not true. But on the other hand, what you do really does matter as part of this aggregate of of how you're framing life for them, how you're helping them navigate the world, how you're modeling things to them. Not each little parenting script or decision about what milk you're going to get them or whether you're getting the subscription play set for developmentally appropriate tools. Like that doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. because your child is, is learning how to interact with the world. And the way that you show them that, that's what they're going to latch onto. And that's what's going to inform kind of everything going forward. 
So I'm just thinking about the three action steps that you can share with the listeners that, you know, even if they're super small, like, okay, so number one, would you would probably suggest like reframing yeah. time, mm-hmm. your thoughts, use your kid as a reason, not as, a, as an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because in the end, if you start taking care of yourself, doesn't really matter why, hopefully it will be ultimately for you. But once you start doing that, you're going to start being, fe- feeling so much better and know yeah. that you're going to keep doing that. Um, I do want to put another action item of, of getting professional help as mm-hmm. it is accessible to you. I know there are limitations to this, but hopefully it is really becoming more accessible. Um, and if you don't, know where to start. There's, there's just local mom groups and apps and parent groups. There's your child's pediatrician should hopefully be able to help you your own doctor and OB, you know, there's just this idea that it has to be so bad before you get help. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we don't use that logic in medicine anymore. We don't wait until someone needs a surgery to do something. And so you don't need to feel like it's a sign of weakness or you should be able to endure it longer. It's just not true. If you need help, you need help. Right. Um, And I I really want to push people to say, you know, is there someone who could at least help me reframe this Mm -hmm. and at least give me some concrete things to do in my life? Asking for help is a humbling thing to do. And a lot of people feel like they're weak when asking for help. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is just how it's been framed to us, especially mm-hmm. around, especially around mental health. It's mm-hmm. this, it's a lot of cultural and societal, you know, misconceptions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an, it's always a good idea to get help. I do think the last action item that sort of just came to me right now, and I think is really important, um, is about you can't control what people say, but you can, to an extent, control the information you are receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had so many times where either my own therapist or my own, you know, knowing better has had to unfollow accounts on Instagram, has had to take breaks, has had to block certain keywords. Um, and I've noticed in times when I'm more anxious, it's harder to do that. I just want to get more and more and feed the anxiety. You know, you have those compulsive tendencies to just, the more you're feeling bad, the more you want to double down and seek more information. Um, But it's really, you know, it's not all information is created equal. It's just not. And I've had people like to the, to the extent that like, I really, really believe that it's okay to limit what you take in. I've had plenty of people who've messaged me on Instagram and have said, I can't take all this COVID news. I'm so anxious about my kid getting COVID. Now you're posting that COVID can lead to Miss C and all these other things. And I really feel like you're making it so much worse and making it anxious. And I, you know, tried to react as kindly, but also as, as real as possible and say, listen, I have to share some of these things because Uh, There's people out there, especially politicians, who are just not trying to care about kids with COVID. You're not my target audience. You already are worried about COVID and are trying to take steps. If I were to speak with you one-on-one, I would not be saying any of this. If you were in my office, I would actually probably be saying, uh, talking more about accepting risk and doing balance. But that's how it is online. And 
I don't feel like I'm doing things for clicks, but when people are doing for things for clicks, it's even worse. It's even more sensational. And uh-huh. so I, I told several people just, just restrict me for a while. Don't follow me or unfollow. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I'm not here to get you to follow me at all costs. Like you need to find information that suits you, not ignore good information because you don't believe in it or it's too scientific. You know, I'm not trying to say like, choose your facts kind of thing, but you absolutely can control which experts you look to, how, how many times you check in with experts, what kind of sources you're using. You can control that. I, it's much harder, but once you push yourself to do that, all of and a sudden for, you can hear yourself, right? You can hear your own voice. Yes. And for someone like you and I, who we, we know our triggers and we could easily, like for me, I'll be scrolling and I'll start to compare myself like, oh, and then the anxiety creeps in, mm-hmm. but because we recognize that those are triggers, we easily can put our phones down and be like, okay, I need to set that boundary. I either need to unfollow that person or I need to walk away. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't know that that is a trigger. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, oh my gosh, this is my compulsive behavior that's acting and mm-hmm. making my anxiety even worse. And that is where I talk a lot about that on my show. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, catastrophic thinking and identifying what the triggers are. And I love that you brought that up as your third action step to really just kind of set those boundaries and that know that you can't, you can control the information that is in your feed because yeah. it's your feed. It's yours. You own right. it, right? right? You don't owe anyone anything. There's no no prize for seeing the most clips or thinking the most about the toys that you're going to buy your kid. Like, you know, I, my triggers are so different. I have such catastrophic thinking about, you know, bad things happening. And so I follow a lot of advocacy groups that are trying to help kids. That's part of my job. And it's part of what I do. But if I'm in a bad place, I'll absolutely either need to take a full social media break, or I'll need to you know, temporarily restrict some of the advocacy accounts because, you know, I can't, it doesn't help anyone if I'm so paralyzed with anxiety that I can't act, right. you know, it's important to remain active and, and keep your activism going, but you can't do it if you're not functioning, and you, need to, you need to regroup. And some days you just have the ability and some days it's just way too overwhelming and triggering. And you need to hopefully start to tune into that you know? Right. And as your kids get older, like my kids now are on social media, I can now teach them how to do that Mm -hmm. and how to identify those triggers as well. Okay. So let's go back to these awesome action, action steps. So number one is just basically reframing your time using your kid as a reason, not as an excuse, like, Oh, I can't go do this, or I can't do this for me because my child isn't sleeping or, needs X, Y, Z or whatever that is. And then your second one is just asking for help. Getting that professional guidance and support is so important. And then the third action step is pretty much protecting your mind, protecting your peace and setting those damn boundaries, right? Yeah. And that includes the the family members or friends who are well-intentioned and are telling you that, oh, how are you still breastfeeding? Is your baby sleeping yet? Have you done sleep? that's a, you know, um, no, no, thanks. We're not talking about that. 
Mm-hmm. I do a lot of nodding. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Oh, I do a lot of that. You know, when people are, you know, trying to tell me what to do or on their soapbox or almost validating mm-hmm. themselves. So I'm just like, yeah. okay, sure, whatever. Yeah. So I say, I'll say the, some of the same things I say to my, you know, I said to my toddler when she was just asking nonsense questions as a, a two-year-old or three-year-old, I say, oh, that's so interesting. Uh-huh. What a person, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sure, um, and then, and that's a good time to go on your phone and play a game and just not engage because it doesn't really matter what no. they're saying doesn't matter if it doesn't help you. No, and point. I think your second book should be titled that. Honestly, <laughs> really though, it doesn't does it really matter? No, it doesn't. I mean, it's funny you say that. I am writing my second book right now. Which you is, are? Yeah, I'm very Congrats. excited. It's you know, the first book was really focused on the, there's stuff that's applicable, I think, to older kids, but it's primarily the, it's really focused on the first year. And so the second book has been largely about the toddler years. Um, And I mean, it's been entirely about the toddler years. It's a sequel about toddler years. But when you do that transition from newborn stuff, which, or infant stuff, which seems to have more science and more like talking about feeding and this and the other, and you go into the toddler years, it becomes really as any toddler parents know, this just behavioral minefield of total dysregulation. And so it's funny you say it doesn't matter because I do think the big takeaway that I've been noticing in my second book is as I go through all the different like behavioral parenting advice, you know, and the the things that are saying, say this, not this, you know, the the Instagram posts that are do this, not that, if you find yourself. And those are tools but the way it's been internalized as like gospel, mm. you know, really I'm struggling with, I found myself very triggered by that. And so my takeaway has been not that nothing matters, but someone's specific script of how things go, what someone did that, that worked for them. That doesn't really matter if it doesn't work for your kid or you. Yeah. You know, it's, that was them and you're right. you, your kid right. is your kid. So take what is good and helpful. There's plenty out there, but if something is just not working or stressful, it doesn't matter who's, it could be me telling you to do it. And I would still say, oh, well, clearly that doesn't work for you. And maybe that was a fluke or maybe, you know, it's, it should not be, no one's, no one's advice should be the word of God, especially not me. No. And we talked a lot about this even before we hopped on the show is that it's really trial and error. Hmm. I mean, yeah. maybe, have you thought about a title? Uh, <laughs> uh, for the book, no. For right now, it's parent like a pediatrician too. Or when okay. I'm when I'm being very lame, I love to make puns and jokes. I'll say too parent like a pediatrician, too furious, like too fast Ooh, too furious. Yeah. So I think that'll yeah. My mom would be like, mom. My daughter would say, mom, you're embarrassing me. My jokes yeah. are so lame. Oh, wait till she's fourteen. <laughs> Oh, she's, she's already starting. And I'm like, you're too young for this. I'm, uh-huh. I'm going to kiss you on the street. Oh, like deal with it. it. Yes. Ah, this was awesome. Rebecca, so informative and eye-opening an Thank eye-opening you. conversation. Thank you, Dr. Diamond for being with me, with my listeners today. So where can we find you? Leave your website and social media handles. So my listeners can go literally, they're probably already following you right now. <laughs> But where can we find you? Oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear from everyone. So it's easy to find. Um, my website's parentlikeapediatrician, all one word, dot com. 
Um, and on Instagram, I'm at parent like a pediatrician. Um, and I love DMs and messages and do my best to get back to everything. Um, and would just love to hear what you think would be helpful from me. Um, and hopefully you have time to check out the book and, and let me know what you think before my sequel is due. So I have time to make changes. <laughs> send me, send your thoughts in soon before we get to copy. Yeah. <laughs> what is your deadline for your book? Or do you have one in mind? Yeah, no, um, we have to, it's sort of this whole big publishing thing. We have to figure out the pub date, but it certainly won't be out for over a year. Okay. Um, but a lot of that is in editing. So the sooner you can give me your questions on the toddler years, the better. Yes. Oh, I'm sure you will get some. You will for sure. That is so exciting. You are a published author, a pediatrician and a mom. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I That's mean, the trifecta really right there. Yeah. It's good. It's good to take stock. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Dr. Rebecca Diamond was amazing. And I don't know about you, but all of that parent talk honestly is making me hungry. Why? I don't know. I am always hungry. I am always hungry. I'm a foodie. So with that, let's talk about food, baby. Okay. So I shared this recipe a few weeks ago on Instagram, and so many of you reshared the reel. You made it, and then you messaged me about the recipe. And I thought, why not? I'm going to share with you this amazing dessert. I'm obsessed with it. It's healthy, it's delicious, and it's easy. It takes no talent, which is literally up my alley. And the best part is you probably have these three ingredients laying around in your kitchen. And the three ingredients are chocolate, peanut butter, and banana. Yep, that's it. Okay, so listen up. This is the recipe for my three ingredient chocolate peanut butter bombs. You'll need one large banana, one scoop of chocolate protein powder. I, of course, use my chocolate shakeology. And you're going to need some natural peanut butter. I always go towards the peanut butter that has the less ingredients, ingredients I could read. So for example, peanuts and sea salts. And that's it. I get my peanut butter from Costco. It's the Kirkland brand. My kids eat it. It's amazing. Okay. Anyways, let's get back to the recipe. So take your banana, you mash it in a small bowl until smooth. Add the Shakeology, and then you're going to stir that until it's combined. Shape that mixture into four equal servings, like four equal uh, bites or balls, however you want it. And then you're going to take a spoon and you're going to make an indentation in the middle of each of the balls. Spoon the peanut butter in the little indentation, place it in the freezer for 15 minutes, and then take them out and you can enjoy them immediately. You could store them in a frozen airtight container for up to about a month. And this is one serving. So four of those balls are one serving. It is awesome. It is so good. So good. And you know what? My kids eat them too. Sometimes it's hard for me to get my kids to try my recipes when it comes to, you know, 
fruit and vegetables, but they do. And this one, they actually really enjoyed. So if you try it, if you make it, send me a message. I would love to hear from you. I really hope that you try, try it because it is worth it. It's delicious. So, all right, guys, remember your anxiety is nothing to be ashamed of. This is exactly why I'm here with this podcast. I'm giving you all the support and insight that I wish I had when I was going through my darkest days. Please, please, please check out my, my website, Crazy Sexy Anxiety for more, for more Support. You can follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Anxiety. If you want to talk more about joining my online support group, Crazy Sexy Healthy, send me an email at Maggie at crazysexyanxiety.com. Or if we are connected on Facebook or Instagram, you can also message me there at Crazy Sexy Anxiety. Part of making anxiety sexy is normalizing it. You're not struggling alone. You will be okay. Get the support you need and deserve. Keep moving your body. Keep going to therapy. Talk to your loved ones. They love you unconditionally. And please know that. Until next time, stay crazy and sexy, my friends. <laughs>